Today's episode is brought to you by the Vegas Beer Guys and the Brew Bar. Everything sequel contains explicit language. And why the fudge not, you melon farmer? Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the Harry Potter edition. My name is Michael Chance of the How Dare You Awards. Joining me as always, your friend and mine, Harry Potter instigator, I'll call him, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Hit us, Tom. I do love knitting patterns. <laughs> Nice. It's, kind of, it's kind of funny that that you know, uh, or or is it? We'll dis- we'll, we'll we'll decide. But sort of how much Dumbledore becomes almost a joke character prior to his death. You think? A little bit. I mean, I don't I don't hate it. I think you know Michael Gambon is having a lot of fun. There's always a bit of whimsy within Dumbledore, though. It's a long way from Richard Harris. Not necessarily in a bad way, but. Like what from where the character started. Mm-hmm. He He's is... got one of my favorite movie one of my favorite moments in this entire series in this movie when uh he says, Ah, young love to be stung by young love. I love that. Yeah. Or well, to I feel also, the sting I also like of the... young love's kiss or something like that. It's just great. I also like the fact that, you know, as I've as I've alluded to before, this is the movie where he's most clearly the M to Harry's James Bond. So I also <laughs> like that aspect of it. Of course you do. How could you not? Ladies and gentlemen, and I have evidence. About... <laughs> we are talking about the 2009 film, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, again, directed by David Yates. All these movies are just making gobs of money. I don't think we talked about it in the last episode, but... Goblets of money. The last one made like nine hundred and forty-two million worldwide, and this movie makes nine hundred and thirty-four. They're juggernauts, Tom. Yeah, completely. Juggernauts. But you know, I also this... read a note that I believe this is J.K. Rowling's favorite in the series. She loves this adaptation of this particular movie. So, what happens in this movie that's so politically appalling that she would believe that? <laughs> we'll have to find it. We'll have to find that nugget of bigotry that puts well, it Well, we talked fire. a lot about that in the last episode, yeah. equating Order of the Phoenix to a world in which the Iraq war is going on and working against the political system. Mm. Is there anything present for you in this movie mm. in that way? Uh, not as, Not as evidently... Mm-hmm. Actually, I I kind of went it, to me. It it went back to it was much, this one seems much more character, looser and much more character yeah. based, and also, I think where there is satire, we're back in that chamber of secrets mode of of the satire is about 
the Harry Potter books and how important they are to the world. Okay. Like it's a bit like the commercialization of magic comes through here again, like the um, the magic toy store and that kind of thing. Uh, although I t- actually, I'll tell you what what kind of come what comes through, and this might track historically. Real concerns about uh, drugs and performance enhancing, um, you know, enhanced sports performance. Right. Like I don't know if if we if we found out about Lance Armstrong yet, but certainly. Oh, that's interesting. I don't know. We're getting towards the 2012 Olympics, so maybe they're starting to. I know it's. I know it was at some point in this century. And we're definitely deep into baseball's crisis with interesting steroids for sure. I don't know how conscious that is. Oh come on, the liquid luck. Yeah. Say no. To, say no to liquid luck. Scenes. I, I'm just saying. That could have been present in in any of the previous movies and still sort of hit that vibe because we've been dealing with steroid problems in baseball since the 90s. But you're, it's an interesting point about Lance Armstrong. I'd have to look that up. Yeah. Um, oh, I got it. I found what J.K. Rowling must like about this movie. There's a scene <laughs> where, a, where a woman roofies a man. <laughs> So, something that doesn't happen in the real world. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, no, actually, I, that's interesting. No, uh, I, I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a very different kind of movie. It really is, and I find it interesting that David Yates does manage to do something completely different with this movie compared to the last movie. This whole movie has a real. Like, from a cine- cinematography standpoint, the movie looks green. <laughs> <That's probably> and <laughs> it was actually, you know, so to me it was, does that signify potions or? I, I guess so. Is everybody getting sick? What's going on here? But it was nominated for a cinematography, an Academy Award. I mean, it I could... think the movie looks good. Yeah, yeah, I'm ha- happy with with how it looks, and it's. Uh, I think I, the, my problems with this, with this movie, the reason why I decided it was a bad movie after some. I mean, it was you. You finally you weren't pushed. going to. The only reason you said yeah. it was bad was because I said that they're all good. Yeah, I would have. I would have tipped the balance and and said it was good because I think there's enough good in here to, to make it that. But if you're going to, if you're going to drink the Kool-Aid and say they're all good movies, then <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not playing yet. <laughs> Although as Johnny Lawrence says in Cobra Kai, what's wrong with Kool-Aid? I love Kool-Aid. Um, <laughs> uh, I think what I feel in this movie is starting to happen is franchise fatigue. Okay. Yeah, you mentioned that I think in our introductory episode, and that's what holds it back a little bit for me. uh, That what what about this movie feels fatigued to you? Well, we're we're getting to that point where like characters are finishing each other's sentences. Everyone knows how everyone else is going to react. We're becoming formulaic, and we're commenting on it. 
and that that makes it hard to justify going beyond that point to me. What's in a uh, what's the formulaic part that the characters are commenting on? Well, there's there's the when uh, I think it's Maggie Smith who says when why when something happens is it always you three? Um, right. Why are you always covered in blood? It's like we're in that uncomfortable sort of phase of a franchise where you know you're over the hurdle and it's like are there any surprises left and this movie sort of seems fatigued with that as opposed to giving us something different we also you know it's like reenacting a lot of the the nonsense from goblet of fire as well like the overlong formal party scene I don't know why we're spending so much time on a Ron Hermione montage. <laughs> you know, those were like the mistakes of the past. Um, so that's what that's what holds it back for me. But there's there's great stuff in here. I agree completely um, with that last remark. Again, that sort of horny teenager stuff that I that kind of horny teenager stuff just doesn't. I you just don't, don't like that at see all. It. I don't want to see it. Uh, young love, Tom. Young love. What's your problem? Oh, I I may had a note here. Speak. I, I'm circling back because you know I'm 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 really scattered with this. But uh, the green the green filter. I made mm-hmm. a note of that too. The green flashback filter. I said it's supposed to speak to the potions and spookiness, but makes it look very cheap. So I guess I don't think it looks that good. I guess we disagree. <laughs> At least for the green. That's funny. What but about I don't, remem- uh, the- I don't remember disliking overall visually how it is. Okay. What about the front loading for this movie? We talked about that in the last movie. And there was stuff that I, as a lover of the books, I... I, I was worried as to whether or not they were going to keep in the movie, but I love this front scene where Bellatrix and her sister Narcissa or Narcissa go to Snape's home outside of Hogwarts and they make the unbreakable vow. Love that. Yeah, I mean, I never... I have to say, and maybe this is better done in the book, or maybe I'm just a jaded, disillusioned moviegoer. I Go never, ahead. I never for a second think Snape is uh, a traitor. Okay. Never for one moment. Um, you know, it's interesting you say that. Because for all of this shit that he does, even upon reading this book the first time and he killing Dumbledore, I was positive that that was with purpose. So I think even as a as a reader of the books, I'm on that page with you. Mm. I never tipped to saying, but th- then why put someone that he's evil? You know, I think mostly because there's weight for it with it for the for the characters, for Harry especially. But why not just let us in on the, on the jig? As the audience. Yeah, if 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 you reading the book thinks not everybody's as savvy as you and I, Tom. <laughs> well, that can't be the reason. 
Um, <laughs> I just think I just I, I I was sort of immediately nonplussed by the idea of having to go through double and triple bluffs for the next couple of movies, next three movies, because I knew full well he was going to turn out to be Dumbledore's ally all along. You're very against double and triple bluffs. <laughs> but this time it's Alan you. Rickman, not Jeremy Irons in Die Hard with a Vengeance. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. Or Ed O'Ross no, I from mean, another 48 hours. Hey, you know, uh, it done well. I'll, I'm, I'm into it. I'm into it. But if you're... If, if it's so patently obvious that they are... Did you see The Sixth Sense and go, fucking ghost? No, no, because that's a well... That's, <laughs> that's different. That's a, that's a well done twist. You know, same with the, the usual suspects. Um, sure. Although I wish that twist would have been Kevin Spacey as a child molester. Um, and then we would have all known in 1990. <laughs> and then we would have known early on. <laughs> um, but... I just just here it's sort of like the way that that character has been set up there is no possible way that he is just a straight up bad guy. Mhm. Not even a possibility that he's a bad guy who regrets what he does. He is just right. playing a long game and a double agent. I mean that's it's like patently obvious from the very first scene of this movie. And we have to suspend disbelief that he's not into what Deathly Hallows part It's two. interesting that you're saying that because now I'm, you know, I wish we had more people so we could ask them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, we do. We have at least one listener. Right. Yeah. Right? The podcast <laughs> doesn't go out unless you get at least one. If, if a, if a podcast think... is not listened to with at least one person, is it a podcast? Yeah, I think we officially have at least eight to 11 listeners. Um, we are rolling, <laughs> so we can we we can ask them. But uh, that so that was very tiresome for me to start that whole okay. chain of events. I thought you had said in our introductory episode that you liked that scene. No, no, not specifically. All right, I don't dislike the scene. I'm just saying it's the beginning of of a of a storyline which of shit that you don't believe. It's just a waste of time. And in movies okay. which are all over long, a waste of time takes oh, on a Oh, I disagree completely. Give me more. Oh, Jesus Christ. That Order not of the possible. Phoenix could have been at least a half hour more. It's not possible. <laughs> it, it was a subplot I could have done without. Okay. Well, how about the addition of Jim Broadbent? Fabulous. Come on. Give it to me. I mean, he Great. at this point, he's literally the only famous British actor who hasn't been in a Harry Potter movie, so it's kind of inevitable. <laughs> but uh, not just um, given that this is sort of Gambon's last movie, sort of. Um, last, you know, last, <laughs> last living I, I, I movie. Get, I, I get what you're saying, yeah. Uh, it was so good to the interplay between the two in that opening scene was was great and, and it was really fun, right? And I just loved that whole first section of of the movie. The city of London gets attacked by the the Dark Lord Cloud, mm-hmm. um, and you know 
Harry's like chatting up a woman in a in an un, in a like an underground yeah. train station cafe, and I might add a woman of color. Tom, a woman of so. color. I noted that. I said that this. <laughs> they obviously realized their mistake. They were like, "Oh, it looks bad that the, our mixed race hero only likes white women." Let's uh, let's go. Let's move it over. Um, and. Uh, yeah, and then and then Dumbledore turns up on the train platform, a la Die Another Day, you know, which, <laughs> while while not being the uh, the best Bond movie this century, is far from the worst. Um, Whoa, I don't know. <laughs> Skyfall all the way. Um, Get the fuck out of here! Hundred percent. Oh my god, that's another podcast, but hundred percent. Um, yeah, and then yeah, he give, and he gives you. Harry a mission. He's so yeah. am. He is so am, and he's interrupting his sex life. <laughs> he is so am, <laughs> and it's all about spying on Jim Broadbent. It's fucking great. Yeah, I mean that's what I got from it. I, I was, I mean that seems to be the mission he gives him is like keep an eye on this guy. Well, he's got to make sure. Honestly, by doing nothing, he's he's ensuring that Slughorn will actually teach at the school. Yes. <laughs> and then once he gets him there, he's got the mission to get a memory. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's great. I think Jim Broadbent. The the one of the things I love about this performance is there are not many actors who can do facial tick acting mm-hmm. and make it work. However, Jim Broadbent is definitely one of those actors. For sure. I mean, it's 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 it, it will just in most actors' hands it would turn into farce so quickly. Jim Broadbent is so good that he pretty much grains against the description of the character as it is in the book. The book is the the character in the book is far more stout and far heavier with a huge walrus kind of mustache. Mm, yeah, and you I don't you that. don't care for a single second, right? Because Jim Broadbent is that good, right? And and it's it's what what's he's like packaging a character who is very difficult in a number of ways for us to get on board with, but because mm-hmm. it's Jim Broadbent and because he's so winning in the way he plays it. All our kind of suspicions about him and what he represents and what he knows. Again, you know, it's kind of like the reverse of the of the of the Snape thing, where it's it's like it's like I've forgotten that there might be a problem with this guy because it's Jim Broadbent. <laughs> yeah, right. But I'm not buying this kind of Snape. That Snape is someone we don't think he is. What do you think of the switching of positions? Snape is now teaching the dark arts. <laughs> I and mean, Slughorn it, yeah, it's like, it's it's. I don't know. Does it portray a certain consciousness on on behalf of J.K. Rowling and the screenwriters that that the defense of the dark arts teacher is has become this guest spot, and that we might uh-huh. we might need to undo this for at least one movie if we're going to surprise people. Well. But I mean, it's a part of the book too. So. No, no, I, I exactly, yeah. It's like, but, but I know what you're saying. Yeah, it's like, we're, it's like the only way to change things up is to give it to a regular. Yeah, right. And so I, I, um, they ran out of national British treasures. Pretty much, to, yeah. To give, yeah. 
but 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 they could have they could have given it to Jim Broadbent, right? They could have, and they didn't. So, uh, it's a good, it's a. Good... But it's a good twist, you know. All the kids think this is the, you know. Just the idea of these kids who have been told that Snape won't is not allowed to have that job because he leans towards dark arts, and all of a sudden he's now teaching defense against the dark arts. I would argue that makes him the perfect person, but what do I know? Nothing. I don't know the intricacies of <laughs> wizard law, apparently. Obviously. All right, let's take a break, and then when we come back, we'll get more into Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince right after this. Can I ask you a question? Do you like beer? I like beer. It's required by law that you like beer when you're living in San Diego, California, but even I can get confused and dizzied by the amount of choices that you can see at your local beer store. What's a person to do? I'll tell you what you do. You'll watch The Vegas Beer Guys, a live show on Instagram and Facebook and they will set you right as to what beers you should have in your life or should not have in your life. The Vegas Beer Guys are brought to you by Dan Aker, the beer professional, and Stephen Weiss, self-proclaimed beer novice. They'll drink beers for you and drink beers with you. Go ahead and check out their live shows, and they'll tell you which beers you should be having in your fridge. Everybody wants the perfect combination of molten hops in your life, and Dan Aker and Stephen Weiss are the perfect combination of fantastic and wonderful. Check them out on Facebook. Check them out on Instagram. Find them. You're going to watch their show and love their show. They give away free merch during their shows. So go ahead and check out the Vegas Beer Guys. What a great time. And we're back. Tom and I are here discussing The Half-Blood Prince from 2009, directed by David Yates. Tom. Yes. Still here. <laughs> Somehow. <laughs> There's a lot of Harry Potter, isn't there? <laughs> this is my dream and your nightmare. It's a potter's field of Harry Potter. <laughs> So we talked a little bit in the last episode in which, you know, the, the first movies all seem to revolve around the kids have to solve a problem. The kids have to foil a crime. The kids have to solve a mystery. Mm-hmm. That's not present here either, is it? Well, the mystery of the half-blood prince, but I agree with you in principle. Like the identity, I suppose that you've... You it's would... just sort of talked about, though. It's not something they're yeah. actively pursuing. They it, just it's sort not... of like... Yeah, but it's a, more referenced. Hey, I went to the library. I can't find anything about a half blood prince. That doesn't make any sense. It, it gets to the point where you realize. Well, for, like first of all, this movie's called the Half Blood Prince, and about about three quarters of the way through the movie, it's like, oh yeah, we've still got to find out who this is. So uh, I was just gonna ask you, did you figure that out soon? No, I didn't. I didn't figure that out. But 
I also forgot that that was something that we needed to find out. Uh, so, you know, easy come, easy go, really. Um, <laughs> but I guess, I guess, if you were to sort of say, what is the, what is the kind of um, the mystery of the movie, mm-hmm. given that that's the title, that gave me a clue that this it might be this. Sure, <laughs> but the movie I mean, didn't, but m- and most, the way it treats m- mostly, it mostly, mostly, and we've talked about this before because these movies all follow a very linear timeline in which you watch the seasons change and the kids have to get through an entire school year. Yeah. So you're going to see the fall and you're going to see snow in the winter. And by the end, we're going to, you know, have a sunny shine, a a sunshine day or whatever. We're always going to see the train going to the school, no matter what's happening. Yes, correct. Did you like that? Did you like, uh, you know, Harry Donning? his cloak, and then just getting throttled by Malfoy. <laughs> when when does that happen? When they're on the train. Oh, right, yeah. Well, Like, that's... he's trying to, you know, he, he kind of, Harry comes up with this idea that Malfoy has been made a Death Eater. Mm-hmm. And the other kids are like, you're nuts. And he's trying to get some information, and so he gets the cloak and he goes up onto the yep. luggage rack. The invisibility spell. Yeah. Well, it's lucky that Harry's Ar- Aryan girlfriend was studying invisibility, <laughs> so she could rescue him. Yeah, and that, that, that's it. Like it, you know, you anchor the movie in. These... Are you referring to Ginny Weasley? No, 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 no. The Irish one. The pain, okay. the painfully Irish one. <laughs> All right. Um. Yeah, it's 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 it works pretty. It's always like we're always gonna have this as an anchor in the movie, but I mean, I, I don't know. If it, is it? The, I think it's the next movie where you know it's like it's like the train to Auschwitz, basically in the next movie. <laughs> yeah. So we're starting we're starting to actually do something because previously it was just like Harry looking at girls, and I guess the train is pretty central in the in in all of the books. Um, but sure. this idea that you might get, you know, attacked, um, brutally attacked on the, on the train is something a little bit new. I mean, has his nose broken. Yeah. Um, and then Luna fixes it. Is that who you're referring to? Luna Lovegood? I think so. <laughs> she's very, very white. She's, she's like a newborn fish. Yeah, but I don't think you need to refer to her as Arian. That's a, that's an unfair slander, sir. I think that's what I think that's what the movie said. <laughs> Such a dick. And I, oh, speaking of the, like the Half Blood Prince, um, which is the name of this movie. Um... <laughs> Thanks for the reminder. Uh, so Did we're always, that, so we're always speaking of it. Uh, <laughs> Harry fares a lot better than I did with used textbooks. I'll say because there are some some useful annotations in there. Uh, all I remember finding was cartoon penises when I'd get my <laughs> hand me my hand Just, me down textbook. Yeah, right. Just chop filled with great notes that help you excel in class. That never happened to me. Um. So that was uh, yeah, that was interesting. But then we don't hear that about say that Haley's penis. Yeah. 
so are, are you supposed to? Because I, I, I'm, and I, this, the, I, like I said, I remembered that it was called the Half Blood Prince at one point, and thought, oh, I should probably be paying more attention to that part of it than the movie is telling me I should. Oh, are we supposed to think that this is Voldemort? But we, we already know it's not, right? Wait, say it again. Are we supposed to think the Half Blood Prince is young Voldemort, or is that? I can't remember that I ever thought that seeing the movie or reading the book. No, okay. No. Because we do get a like a Rob Zombie Halloween origin story of Voldemort in this movie, right? Yeah, yeah, right. With uh, Nick... Frank Delane, who played Nick in Fear the Walking Dead. Correct. Perfectly yeah. cast. As, uh, but look in like another, a another bit fucking more of a chubby loser. kid, right? Sorry, looking a little bit more like a chubby kid than the the rail he is in Fear the Walking Dead. Right? No? Yeah. Is he? He's just good at maladjusted losers. Like if I didn't know, I I would I never would have thought it was him. I could. I, it was one of those things where you know I I felt there was a deja vu about him. Then I looked him up and thought, oh yeah, of course it's Nick. Okay. But um, <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember reading the book and being so excited when Dumbledore said, it is my wish to to give you private lessons this year. Mm. And like the kids in the book and the movie, when they're, you know, kind of theorizing what these lessons are going to entail. And they're important, don't get me wrong, but I remember always thinking I wanted more, you know, something akin to the last movie where he's turning shards of glass into sand and that kind of defense against the art, dark arts kind of stuff. Yeah. But as it turns out, he just wants him to get a memory. Mm. And they, in the movie, they don't, they don't show, of course, all the memories that you see or read in the book. There's more? Yeah. Holy moly. <laughs> I didn't think that was possible, but okay. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> Well, what, what what was it like for you seeing a young Voldemort and I don't know, like like you know, when you when you see a man with like slits for eyes and almost no nose and <laughs> looking like a snake himself and pale and scaly and terrible, hmm. and then you remember that at one point he was just a boy. Is that the point they're making? Oh, I guess that is the point they're making because that is what Rob Zombie's Halloween is all about. And it's exactly the same <laughs> yeah. device. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it 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 was it was fine. Um, Do we learn anything significant, or is it just about empathy? Well, we. Uh, oh, well, what are we? So, are you talking about what we learned emotionally, or what we learned? No, in 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 reality, not. Because narratively, what we learned is we got a bunch of Horcruxes and we got to kill all of them before we can kill him. Okay, then it's probably worth it then. Sure. <laughs> of course. Well, but I think it's interesting for Harry to see that this malevolent being that's been after him since the day he was born was himself at one point just a boy. 
and an orphan like he like Harry was. Hmm. Of course, he's a orphan because of that boy, but. <laughs> Yeah, I guess, I guess, I guess you do, you do need to do that. It also brings Voldemort back into focus, um, mm-hmm. I suppose, as the villain or as a antagonist. Sure, because otherwise he really is just this like one scene a movie kind of. Remember me. <laughs> I'm back. Something's going to happen with me in three movies' time. See you in three years. <laughs> well, now what about Malfoy and his scheming and his plotting and his planning? You kind of see the steps he's taking to repair the vanishing cabinet. Mm. Were you following along with that? or I think so. I remember okay. it. And you but you weren't buying that Snape was there to help him. I mean you I never just I, I, that Snape I, was I thought it evil. was a I, I thought it was a ruse the, the whole time. Um I just I don't know. It, it I think it is it's about storytelling cynicism. It's just hard to suspend disbelief because of the way It's kind of interesting because a lot is made in this series of movies, and I'm sure in the books too, is that there is moral ambiguity in these characters, yet there's also a very clear sense of who's on... Who's, good and evil. Who, of good and evil, and who who is essentially on each side. Um, mm-hmm. I don't want to say too much about... Uh, uh, Dra- Draco? Draco? Draco. Draco. God damn it, Tom. Get your shit together. I don't want to say too much about Hugo Drax from Moonraker, but... um... (laughs) You're lying. Of course you want to say plenty. (laughs) Uh, But I feel feel like, you know, that that he's kind of in between. And then the... Certainly the movies, I don't know if the books do a better job, but the, the, the movies don't do a good job of telling me why he would pick one side over another. Except that he did. Well, are we... You're talking about his choice Something happened to... in those 19 years that we didn't see, it seems to me, <laughs> that, we'll, that we won't know about because J.K. Rollins isn't a good enough writer to write it. Oh, I don't know that that's true. I mean, you you can see the pressure that he bears from his, from his family. Yeah. That's there. Mm-hmm. All right, then. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what? What? I don't know. We're left hanging, and we uh, we're not. That's not. That doesn't happen in this movie, so we don't need to talk about it yet. But yeah, the, this this, <laughs> okay, this movie's definitely setting that up. I agree. Very good. Then <laughs> let me ask you about this. Yes, there was a scene I was really surprised by when on this rewatching, and when Katie Bell touches that cursed necklace and floats up into the air. Mm. I found that to be very frightening. Who's Katie Bell? A character you don't really know very well, but they're they're walking back from Hogsmeade. Can you give me an actor? No. Oh. See, that's where it gets difficult for me. 
if it's not a na- if unknown. it's not a famous British actor playing them, I've probably forgotten about them already. <laughs> Katie Bell is that the character or the actor? That's the character. She touches the necklace and starts screaming. She floats up in the air and screaming, and Hag- you know Hagrid comes down. Hmm. They say, "Don't touch that necklace. Keep it in the package." You know they use a scarf or something to take it all back to Dumbledore. Hmm. Okay. Once again, I will take your word for it. I don't. I don't know. I don't. Is there? Are there? It was very scary. Tom. Are there different cuts of this movie? No. <laughs> okay. I gave you the DVD that I fucking watched. <laughs> uh, we watched the same I thought you were film. Gonna, I really thought you were going to say a scene that surprised you was the one with the dead spider, because that's the scene that surprised me. Okay. What surprised you about it? I didn't know what the tone was in that scene. I didn't know whether it's supposed to be funny, sad, or just weird. When they find that dead spider. Well, I think it's... All three? things for different characters. Okay. I thought it was weird that this is the scene you want to get funny with, but there you go. Well, if you look at the... Oh, but Ron hates uh, spiders, right? Right. But if you... you, You're never going to do this, but if you you look at the extras on the DVD, you can see... (laughs) You're right about that. The work they put into uh, making that spider and threading through, like, the hairs on the spider one at a time. Like, you know, and and we've talked in previous episodes, we were talking about the digital work Mm. done for an entire space, you know, in the Room of Prophecies. Yeah. And how it's all digital and it kind of suffers and Grop doesn't look very good. We didn't talk about it, but the centaurs... Don't look very good in five. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. And here they take the time to do a practical effect and it looks amazing. Yeah. But isn't this the time in cinema when we're starting to come around to the idea that hybrid is the hybrid of practical and CGI is like the is the the um the sweet spot when it comes to effects. Sure. We're because we're at the point now where like our favorite effects we can't actually tell if they're digital or practical or both. Right. And I think we're starting to get... Yeah. Maybe. Maybe that's a product of the time. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. But it's still, but to it's your still point, you have a lot of things at play in that scene because Harry is drank some liquid luck to the point where he almost seems like he's walking around drunk. I, he seemed to me like he was on coke. Okay. That's the sort of... Yeah. Which I thought, you know, and... Uh, and, <laughs> and uh, you know, take take a picture of this moment. I actually thought Daniel Radcliffe... Right. Daniel Radcliffe uh, did a really good job there. I don't know if it's because he's connecting <laughs> to, the, to the Daniel Radcliffe that I saw in that episode of Extras. But, like, I really bought... Um, this coked up Harry Potter. I think you want to know the funniest part about that, about what you just said. Yeah, he actually himself hates this performance more than any other because apparently he had started drinking quite heavily at the time. 
Oh, so he is intoxicated. It definitely Maybe. reads. It definitely yeah. reads. That ex- so it's possible. That explains so much. Because <laughs> I have notes about his performance where... Oh, God. I- I'm going to just read it. I'm just going to read read what... Uh... <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we have Daniel Radcliffe Review by Tom Stewart. Go ahead, Tom. No, no. I mean, this... I mean, that is literally like... Oh, I need to... I need to find it. You need to vamp for a... Okay, here we go. No, here we go. So I said, I said, is Harry supposed to be acting like a dick or is this just Daniel Radcliffe's cockiness? Interesting. And it was Daniel Radcliffe. It was it might a have been, thing. But there's lots of things where I think it's really funny. I, it, I think it's this movie when Hermione says, they're only looking at you, Harry, because they think you're the chosen one. And he says, but I am, I am the, the chosen, chosen one. Yeah, I wrote that she too. hits him on the head with a book. I love that. I wrote that. I wrote that down. Of like, he's starting to believe his own hype, which was clearly what Daniel Radcliffe was uh, was experiencing too, right? Uh, wow. Sure. Well, just I th- there was a scene where he was like, he said, um, "It's when Ron is recovering in hospital." Is it Ron who's recovering in hospital at one point in the movie? Yes. He's in a hospital bed. He and the way he, he was. Poisoned. The way he thanks the nurse is is so condescending, and that's that was, a, <laughs> and I was like, and so and that there was that combined with him saying Voldemort, which they make a big thing out of, like just you can't just casually say Voldemort, like it's mm-hmm. he will not be named, and so part of me is like, okay, so that's that's he abs- who must not be named, Tom. Get it together. What did I say? <laughs> I don't know, but it was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I think you said will not be named. He he who uh, the the man Must with no not. name. <laughs> Voldemort. Clint Eastwood. <laughs> hey, can you imagine Clint Eastwood as Voldemort? <laughs> How about as Dumbledore? You got to you got to separate those Hogwarts. You got <laughs> You got to separate those wands, boy. You got to separate those Hogwarts. Um <laughs> So <laughs> I lost my point. Yeah, so so I was thinking at, at the le- at, you know in the level of the script, they're obviously pointing out that, that that Harry Potter's getting too comfortable with with his role in the kind of fight between good and evil. Like he's mm-hmm. well, I said it before. He's starting to believe his own hype, but just the way he talked to the nurse in that scene as an actor made me think, oh, maybe this is just, you know, <laughs> the fact that these these actors have been playing these characters and have this level of celebrity now that's going to their heads. Maybe. And they kind of, and they almost reference that in the movie. I think the fact that suddenly everyone in the school is into Harry, Ron, and Hermione sexually. Mm-hmm. Like they've got multiple people, multiple people after them, each of them, and I'm like, is this is this the movie trying to come to terms with how they have become sex symbols for teens? Um, that's so interesting. I cannot believe that that reads. It's weird because you think that a movie, a big budget movie like this, will be able to hide something like that pretty well, and yet mm. all that vulnerability is out there in his performance. 
Oh, I'm so glad I could give you this gift. We're going to take another break, and when we come back, we will finish talking about Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Right after this. If you're anything like me, you spend the majority of the day wondering whether you want coffee, beer, or wine. Whichever way you fall, Brew Bar has you covered. Located in the heart of 3rd Avenue Village in glorious downtown Chula Vista, California, which is also my neck of the woods, Brew Bar is a coffee shop, bar, and eatery rolled into one delightful package. Tim and Alex run the place, and let me tell you listeners, these guys know their coffee. And after you've been in their company, so will you. They turned me on to pour over, and it's literally all I drink now. If for some crazy reason you don't want to try the best coffee in the world, they've got espresso drinks, all kinds of teas, and even coffee cocktails. You heard me. Coffee tails. And we're just getting started. Bottle service on craft beer and wine, alcoholic and caffeinated potions, an all-day food menu with plenty of vegan options. All served up in an atmosphere hip enough to know you're getting the best quality, but not too hip that you feel the need to drive to 7-Eleven and get a bucket of brown swill. Brew Bar. It's the best place to be for beer, wine, coffee and tea. And if you go, you might even see me. And we're back. Yet again, Tom and I, we're here talking about Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. You were saying during the break, Tom, that you had a question. Is that right? It's 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 not specific to this movie, but it it, it actually I probably comes to the fore in this movie. Hmm. And and I need to ask you specifically because you read the books. Okay. Um, is it just the movies that are a complete and total ripoff of Lord of the Rings, or are the books guilty of the same crime? <laughs> I'm immediately reminded of episodes of South Park. I don't know if you've seen it, but the kids are all playing Lord of the Rings and the whole episode is about them playing Lord of the Rings and then they come upon some kids playing Harry Potter and then, yeah, you know, call them, I forget the name they call them. Oh, they probably call them fags. <laughs> That sounds like South Park. That sounds um, like South Park, yeah. <laughs> well, I just, I just, uh, and this, you know, the, uh, the, again, that's not a specifically a criticism of J.K. Rowling because, you know, it's been so influential to fantasy. You, George Lucas is equally guilty of making Star Wars a, a, a Lord of the Rings ripoff. But I'm just wondering at whose door to lay that, whether it's something that, you know, there's like built into the books or whether um, these movies which are coming out not too long after the film adaptations of Lord of the Rings mm -hmm. have been, oh, they overlap a little bit, right? I think, I think, yeah, didn't, when did, when did The Fellowship come out? Uh, it's early 2000s. They must have overlapped. I, I wanted to say 2000, but I don't know if that's right. 
I mean, they were released at Christmas, and these were summer movies, right? I want to say. Well, no, these all these started as November movies. Oh, okay, so they were Christmas. Movies and then too. when they started going, kind of, when they started, they would do spring or or summer. Mm. But I, you know, I, I just um. Two thousand one, yeah, Lord of the Rings Fellowship, two thousand one. So it was one, one to one to three. And then this is so. This is beyond. This is pretty beyond that. But I just mm-hmm. had these moments of like, you know, the the magic caves and the golems and the dragons, and the even the storytelling. I mean, it gets. I guess. I guess this isn't quite the peak of it. I think Deathly Hallows. You know, when they're on a, effectively a quest, they sort of become Frodo and Sam, <laughs> Ron okay. and Hermione. But it's like. But is that is that a direct ripoff of Lord of the Rings, or is that something to the fantasy genre that's so inherent that you can't avoid it? But do you feel that in the books too? Is what I'm asking. Overall, I agree with you. It's like you can you can avoid it, but most authors don't. Yeah. Um, hmm. I I love the Lord of the Rings movies, but I've never read those all of those books so it's hard for you know but you but do you i mean i don't know i am okay hmm. but that was an interesting question just because you know were this were these just movies i would say i guess i guess what the fact that there is a piece of literature that this is based on automatically prompts what you just said which is like there's something structurally in fantasy which is so indebted to that form to the form of that story that it carries over into any you know anything like this it carries over into but i'm just i'm just curious because i i i didn't know where to put my right uh, to put my point whether it was just well, like and the, it's, the movies know, are just speaking to the books which are informed by lord of the rings or whether yeah uh, Lord of the Rings is out in the public consciousness enough that these movies need to refer to them. I I don't see that in the movies. Good. Myself. Okay. Um the the kind of things that are present in all of the Lord of the Rings movies in which and it's done very well. We were talking about practical versus digital. Mm, I don't know. Never. Oh, really, I think I never no. really thought that. No, I mean, for, for where it matters in the battle scenes, I'm like, that's what I was kind of specifically referring to. Yeah, I was thinking of the battle scenes in which it's just cost prohibitive. You can't do that practically. And there are, of course, moments in the battle scenes where I think, okay, it's digital, but but to me, it doesn't look bad. Mm. And it got I think, worse, though, right? The the Hobbit movies are terrible. For oh, that. the Hobbit movies are awful. So it, I, it, I I don't know what happened with the Hobbit movies, but those movies shouldn't have been made. That's what happened. Yeah. Well, <laughs> at the very least, not been made into three movies. And well, we, we, I mean, the first one was so laughable of... to me that I didn't even see the second two. That's how this much I hated it. This is not as much of a digression it. as it may seem to listeners, because I know, right? Because it, it isn't, you know, that when we get to Deathly Hallows, uh, obviously what the Hobbit does is part of that same 
um, problem of of uh, multi part storytelling where you know a, a a lean adaptation will do. <laughs> you know, I'm not. I'm not going to agree with you, but I'm not going to disagree with you either. Oh yeah, and 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 again, that's not this movie. True, we're not even there yet, but. But I guess what I was speaking to specifically between this series and the, that other series is that you don't these series maybe until that last movie you don't have the overwhelming kind of CGI of seeing thousands of people or anything like that. So when you see characters on brooms after the first movie that all looks pretty good digitally like they do it well and then yeah we you know i think it does fluctuate in between digital effects that work and don't i mean we talked about how earlier films it does work and then in later films grop or the centaurs they don't look as good Mm. the digital world of the prophecy room i don't think looks as good as as it could have practically Mm. but you know, well, you also I mean, learned that, that that practically it might have been cost prohibitive for them in a way that they were not willing to spend that much money. I don't know why when your movie's going to make a billion dollars, but <laughs> but I mean, it's also I, I think it's about the the impetus to make these movies is that that is the success of the books sure. and the books we've got to capitalize on that. So let's get let's roll them out. They're not the people who are making these pictures are not thinking. You know, is the effects industry ready to represent everything that's in these books? Mm-hmm. They just need to roll them out. Whereas, you know, when whenever great special effects have come to fruition, it's because certainly the filmmakers are pushing the boundaries of what can be done, but they know that there's an environment in which... Usually it's because James Cameron has waited exactly as long enough as he needs to to do whatever the fuck he wants to do. <laughs> right, right, but but the, you're developing the technology parallel to making the movie, whereas I just feel I feel here this is do you know you're always gonna get you're always gonna get an uneven set of effects because the the drive to get these movies out before people sure. tire of of the friend uh, tire of Harry Potter. Not which... that you would know, but the first movie is actually a really good example of that because there's a moment where on Halloween night, a troll gets loose in the castle. That sounds great. Yeah. In the first movie, a troll gets loose in the castle and you have like clearly digital effect and practical effect. Mm. When the troll is moving around and trying to hit the kids with its club and that kind of thing, it's all digital. That sounds great. I might actually watch this movie. Well, and the funny part is even Harry becomes a digital character because he jumps on the troll's back and sticks his wand up its nose and it's kind of going crazy and it all doesn't look very good. Then Ron manages to use Wingardium Leviosa, which Hermione was giving him shit about doing the spell right. Anyway, the club goes up, hits the troll, and the troll falls over. And then you go to a practical effect of it lying down on the ground and it looks amazing. So... I think you're right in the sense of 
Like these books were just too much of a juggernaut for them yeah. to be worried about how well they could do it. It was we're going to do it as well as we can, and and we'll catch up. Yeah, in the in the years that we're making it, which kind of does yeah. happen. I mean, you see from yeah. end to when you see like Dobby from end to end, you're like, oh yeah, oh yeah, looks much better the second time. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um. That's well. That's interesting. That was your uh, well, fantasy we... corner. Yeah. Can we talk about the, the movie? The, well, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say the end of the movie. I mean, we've, you know, we, we've we've kind of loosely rolled through the movie talking about this and that. But I'd like to know your take on going to get that Horcrux in the cave and followed by Dumbledore's death. How does um, it work for you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you want to know, and yet no, I think you no, can come predict. On. No, I'm not not negative. I was just like uh, the only thing I could relate it to um, is James Bond. Yeah. <laughs> so he, so Dumbledore sort of does this mission prep for Harry, where he sort of says, "I'm going to say some weird shit." say and do some weird shit and you're just going to have to deal with it. <laughs> so he can, well, he says no matter what happens, you have to do everything that I say, even if that's it's what run I say, away, save yeah. yourself. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. All um, of that makes sense though. Does it not? Well, that he's allowed to not make sense for a significant portion of the movie. Yes. Because he said, I'm not going to make sense anyway. Um, <laughs> But he, yeah, it's like, it, it just reminded me of the way Judy Dench gets uh, killed in Skyfall. Two spoilers for the price of one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I was, I was a little bit sort of, again, it's sort of like, let's reveal that big parts of this movie are a red herring, which is... Dif- dangerous to do when there's so much franchise fatigue around because you really want to say you really want to remind franchise people franchise fatigue for you not for me do you really want to remind people that this has all been a big waste of time <laughs> <laughs> it's a waste uh, of time I... for the characters and then the loss of Dumbledore is felt all the more because it was all for nothing and also I think I don't think I... that makes it a waste of time for the audience one of the reasons which I never bought the the Snape defection is that the movie doesn't do much to make it seem as if it's a real defection. And it goes back and forth a few times, but no no one is... I, even Rickman, I don't think, is investing it with much, like, interest. Oh, come on. He's giving his full evilness put out to the world. Maybe, maybe I'm just just because I know that that it's all gonna. I think you have. I think you know storytelling. Well, that's also. I mean, you know, we had our fan, little fantasy corner, um, but that's also a fantasy trope. You know, the the, the redemption of the mm-hmm. of the kind of cursed or possessed hero right. character. You know, it's like even though he's in on the even in he even though he's in on the ruse the whole time he's still it's still the Darth Vader arc of goes over to the dark side comes back from the dark side 
Well, and he. <laughs> I know this. You don't. You don't find this out until later. You. <laughs> you don't find this out until later. But this is a. This is a major sacrifice that he has to make, in order to make all of this work. What Dumbledore or Snape? Yeah, having to kill Dumbledore. Oh, for Snape, yeah. I, yeah. I kind of, I thought, it's it's interesting because Dumbledore's the 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 kind of, the character who's been held up as the, our point of, sympathy for so long, but. After this movie, kind of looks a little bit of a dick keeping Harry in the dark the way he did. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But, and he we spoke to this in the last nobly. episode, all of that, you know, what I like about this series is, is despite the fact that Dumbledore is a great wizard and one of the wisest people in this universe, he is still susceptible to human error. Yeah. And misjudgment. Yeah. And I love that about this series and about that character. Packs, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and all of that works. And if I if I ever believed that... Uh, and it plays would... out in the next movie because he knows Harry so well that he's worried that Harry will go for wands instead of horcruxes. And he knows what Harry has to do. So he can't... He's got to, you know, throw out tiny breadcrumbs. He can't just mm. play it all out for him. Now, you could argue that that shows a lack of trust, but I would argue that it shows that he knows where Harry is right now and shows foresight for where he will be and when he's ready to make that decision. Mm. Boom. And I, I guess I don't know. Is this the, is this the first movie in the series where maybe not? But I, I with that with that kind of where the final scenes are about setting up the next movie, like or have we already had that? Well, certainly, certainly we're past the idea that these are. Self- that's really at play in the next movie when the last scene is essentially. Voldemort getting the wand. Right. But the, the lightning Horcru- strike. The credits. Horcrux, like it sets up, I suppose the difference is that this one sets up the objective for the next movie. Yeah. It's like, uh, I forget what that is, but it's something mm-hmm. to do with a Horcrux. <laughs> Crying out right? loud. <laughs> They've got to find the Horcruxes. I was just gonna say you're you're using a singular, and it's fucking plural. Thank God you went to the plural. It's more than one. Thank you. But it, but that's tr- they've got to find them, right? Yeah. Right. So it's setting up the quest of the next movie, and I, I, I'm just trying to think if in previous movies we've there's always been a sense of like, oh, Voldemort's coming. Maybe he'll be there in the next movie. Maybe not. <laughs> But this one is very much like, here's what's going to happen in the next movie. Here's what this next movie is going to be about. Well, yeah. I mean, you're leaving this movie, A, knowing that everything that just happened was for naught because you're the Horcrux isn't even, <laughs> isn't even in the necklace. I argue that that's traumatic for the characters and not for the audience. So back up I'd... off me for a sec. But But you know that they have to... 
they have to go find all the Horcruxes. You also understand that because Harry is who he is, he says he's going to do it alone. And Hermione and Ron both say, you know, she says, you're really thick sometimes. Because if you think, A, if you think we're going to let you do it without us, and B, if you think you could even finish it without us, you're crazy. And all that lends to the develop, you know, of their friendship Mm. and how their relationships work, which I really like. I found, um, I think, I don't know how, I, to me, and then you're going to disagree with this, or I know I can tell. Of course. Before I even say it. <laughs> but Emma Watson doesn't, as an, as an actor, can't convey to me what Hermione is supposed to be. But in this movie in particular, like, is she this character who keeps telling Who's who's supposed to be tough and talks back to people? Is that her thing? Because that's what I got from this movie, but I've never felt that before or after. She well, calls someone she a daft bimbo, huh? She calls someone a daft bimbo in this movie, and and as she plays it, I'm like that character would never say that. But am I? Is it because Emma Watson wouldn't say that that I'm thinking that, or is it because like? You've given me so many examples of her talking back to Harry and like, you know, Burgess Meredith Rocky style, like, <laughs> get yourself together, you know. Yeah, but it's you're like, latching like, on to the bimbo. And you're right, at script level, at script you're, level, You're yeah. latching on to the bimbo comments instead of that comment. No, I'm latching on to all those comments and trying to, trying to work out. I mean, yeah, partly I didn't see how these characters were set up in the first movie and that's probably my problem but agreed also the fact that these 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 actors are turning into we'll talk about this more in the next couple of movies because i have a i have an interesting story for you but these characters are turning into sex symbols in their own right and she's calling someone else a bimbo and she's like a teen model. I, I just like I don't know what to do with that character wise. And I wish you know, I don't know what's going on. Daniel Radcliffe's drunk and <laughs> Emma Watson is You just learned about that. Confused is confusing. So I, I feel like the this uh I don't know. I mean I get overall I get the sense that, that these characters are getting way beyond what these actors are capable of. I disagree. That this is my first, but that's also about where these people are as celebrities as well. Like where, what, like what position they have outside the movies in in the culture of like this is that this is also compromising what they're able to do on screen because we're just not buying certain things that they're doing. Well, I, of, I you yeah. know you will not find this surprising at all then because I think it's this movie and the previous movie. I don't remember which one's which, but. Both Emma Watson and Daniel Radcliffe had thought about leaving the series. And Rupert Grant never did. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll give you that little gift. Was it? Didn't he do a movie about a science fiction movie about a kid who jettisons himself into space with farts? Called Thunderpants. I have no. Am idea. I imagining this? I. It's I Rupert hope not. Grint, right? Yeah. 
That's okay. I'm gonna look this up now. If not, I need to be institutionalized. If I just came up with that, <laughs> I think it's called Thunderpants. Thunderpants. Um, Thunderpants, wow. and it's about a kid who jettons, jettisons himself into space with farts. Uh, why, why IMDb? Why is he so far down on the list? Let me just look up <laughs> Rupert Grin. Is he even in this movie? He's in the movie. Rupert Grin. Okay. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Anything else you want to say while I'm looking up? Whether or I was not, just gonna say, I, whether except or not it was gonna I'm be posed as not. a question. Like, can you at least give me that Dumbledore's death is affecting when they all raise their wands and? Well, I'm gonna look up Thunderpants. The dark mark th- out of the sky. Maybe it's not him. Thunderpants. Okay, I, I Thunderpants exists. So you do. Oh. Yes, Rupert Grint's Thunderpants. Yes. You don't have to send the white van, but I but I remember thinking I like I remember thinking at the t- so like after this Daniel you know Emma Watson goes on to have this um, unbelievably successful career in Hollywood. Daniel mm-hmm. Radcliffe does pretty well and also does a lot of very respectable stuff, like you know Equus yeah. in the West End and. And and I just think of Rupert Grin in this movie about a kid who farts his way into space. <laughs> and it makes me sad. I know. Um, I, I don't know. I'm done. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I really lowered the tone. There. We we went off on tangents there towards the end, but Well the first one was was a like a, a justifiable tangent. Yeah. Um Then things got crazy. Yeah. Uh, but like, look, my overall take on this movie is, I, I think generally speaking, fans of the books rate this book towards the bottom, and then rate this movie towards the bottom. But I think this movie is really smart in ha- in its adaptation. I think it includes everything that that is a huge fan that you would want in it. Mm. As all, all, along with everything that it needs and is able to discard the stuff that it doesn't need in smart ways. And it was just far more entertaining. I, I just really enjoyed the viewing of it on this viewing. And you're close to calling it a good movie. The yeah, absolutely. I, I, is, I really, let's put it this way. For I spite. Really, I really don't have a big problem with this movie. Just just the feeling that 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 you know the Yates sheen starting to fade a little bit for me mm-hmm. because he's not offering anything new. I disagree. Me- there is new stuff. It's got a different look. Meanwhile, the franchise is starting to get tired of itself. So that's really what I would say the one thing about this movie it is borderline. it does feel like maybe this movie's on autopilot. Yes, apps that is it. That yeah. is it. It yeah. is autopilot. There's a moment and you can fill me in here. Um 
what is it where they kind of casually break a mythology rule and it just feels like we're tired of having to write around this it's about flying in school or something like that or flying outside the school oh yeah that you can't disapparate right and they do it and they're just like Basically, Dumbledore just says there's lots of privileges to being me. Right, yeah. And that yeah. and that that just seems like riding around a rule that you can't break because you well, don't care anymore. Well, and that's just that's just out of convenience cuz in the book they do have to apparate or disapparate. They have to travel to Hogsmeade. And then they have to walk back to to Hogwarts. Like that is a part a, of the book. I don't know what a Hogsmeade is, but it sounds delicious. <laughs> is that Wizard Narnia? No, that's the that's the where they go to like the three broomsticks and get their butterbeer and Right. That's right. the okay. the all wizard village. Got it. At play they... in number three, where Harry really wants to go, but is not allowed because he didn't get his form signed because he blew up his aunt. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I missed that movie. Yeah. (laughs) All right. We'll leave it there. We'll leave it at Tom missing an actual Harry Potter movie. (laughs) For Tom Stewart from Lonesome Whistle Productions, I am Michael Schantz from the How Dare You Awards. Please contact us. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Uh, you know, leave us a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts, please. It really helps. And we will see you next time for Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1. Say goodbye to everybody, Tom. Oh, you daft bimbo. (laughs) We'll see you next time.